Welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Here is your host, Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof, a nationally recognized health educator, author of the award-winning book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty, and creator of the Talk Puberty app. And welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof. For the fall series of the Puberty Prof Podcast, I've been focusing on the National Sexuality Education Standards. Basically, these standards can be referred to by parents, other caregivers, educators, uh, administrators, anybody out there to see what's recommended to be taught in the K through 12 setting. So if you're curious about what's age and developmentally appropriate, you can refer to this document and there'll be a link for the document in today's episode. Today's episode is focusing on a topic that, I don't know how to phrase it, but some people get nervous about talking to children about it, yet it is a needed topic even before kindergarten. And that is the topic of interpersonal violence. To help talk about this topic, I invited Dr. Kelly Palfey back on the Puberty Prof podcast. She was in episode 34. And since we met in that way, it feels like she's like a soul sister. She's really passionate about providing people tools. Uh, She's written numerous books. Actually, she just came out with a couple of things that she's gonna talk to you about. Kelly is a counseling psychologist. And instead of me explaining more about her background, I'm gonna let her say hi to everyone, welcome her back. And so Kelly, Thanks for being here again. I'm so excited to talk with you today. Would you like to say hi to the audience? Yes, Lori, and thank you so much for having me back. I, I love the work you're doing. I'm I'm a fan, and I think it's a great honor to be here. So thank you. I appreciate you. Uh, last year when we spoke, it was for episode 34, and it dealt with some things that um, when children are inappropriately touched and we went over some grooming techniques, it was actually challenging in some ways for me to talk about it because I don't like the fact that this stuff happens. Mm -hmm. Yet at the same time, we need to do things to make sure parents and other caregivers can help their children, help teach their children so they can even go to their parent and caregiver, um, but just to provide basic information. So do you mind giving a little bit of your background Kelly. Yeah, sure. Sure, Lori. And, you know, I think I think it's relevant to understand my background, too, because, you know, in a perfect world where children weren't harmed, I think, you know, maybe we can wait and maybe, yeah, I might take a different approach. But so I was part of the inception of the Integrated Child Sexual Exploitation Unit when I worked for the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. So with the advent of the Internet, of course, we started to see file sharing between individuals with ill intent, pedophiles. And it, like we were inundated with files with suspects doing this and, you know, see, we'd seize computers, we'd get like just mass amounts of contacts in their contacts book. Like you and I, if we were to look in our contact book, we got tons of people there. Well, so did the pedophiles. So it made us more aware of the prevalence of child sexual abuse also seizing the mass volumes of images of different children and whatnot 
I just became unfortunately grossly aware of how prevalent the issue is. And I'm a huge advocate now that we have to educate our children young. Not that it's a child's responsibility to protect themselves, but unfortunately in today's day and age, it is a necessity um, because offenders will work very, very, very hard to fool the caregivers, the parents of children that they are desiring to offend against. And I'm talking, they will spend years, months, years, befriending the parents, earning their trust. I can tell you, I'm a counseling psychologist and almost every story I hear about a child who's been abused, it's always been someone very close to the family. Always, always, always. Someone that's in that trusted circle. So for that reason, I am a huge advocate of educating kids as early as possible. Before we jump to the interpersonal violence section of the standards, would you mind sharing and telling us a little bit about the books that you've written? Because it does pertain to this topic. Sure, no problem. Uh, my first book that I wrote is called Men Too, Unspoken Truths About Male Sexual Abuse. And the title is a play on the Me Too um, movement. And I wrote it uh, to basically to relay my doctoral research to the public. So I researched why boys and men were not disclosing sexual abuse. Sexual abuse has, you know, only become a topic of acceptable conversation for boys and men in the last 15 years, uh, but it's still not talked about near enough. So I did uh, like a 14 person case study and talked with male victims about, you know, when their abuse began, why they didn't report it. And I can tell you one of the main reasons for a lot of these men as boys were that they wanted to protect their parents from information they thought would be too hard for them to handle because of who their offender was. So that was a, that's my first book. And there's a lot of other reasons in there about why boys and men have in their past chosen not to disclose their abuse. It's also meant to support male survivors. So if people know of a male survivor in their world, it's a great resource. Um, then I wrote, myself and our colleague, Dr. Wanda Paltzen, we co-authored a series called Creating Personal Safety. And so these books are meant to help parents have those really uncomfortable, awkward conversations that we are going to talk about today. The first one called The Unsafe Neighbor is basically helping parents, like it's a storybook you can read to your children that will explain the concept that not everybody that we think is safe stays safe. So it's um, like the the graphics are pretty minor. There's, you know, the, the basically the storyline is the boy um, ends up falling in love with some puppies down the street. It's dad's colleague. They know him from work and they agree to let him start helping with the colleague who is raising purebred lab puppies. And um, eventually this man hires the little boy to help with the puppies and stuff like this and, you know, eventually gets him alone and then there's one image where they go camping and the offender has his hand inside the little boy's sleeping bag. That's as graphic as it gets. The boy's got a like look on his face of shock. Then the next, you know, pages are him going home and telling his dad and the offender getting arrested. So it, ha and, and he gets a puppy dog. So it ends good. <laughs> he gets the puppy dog that he wasn't allowed before. So it's got a happy ending. Um, it's, it's, it's not traumatizing to children. It's just telling them that, you know, teaching them, that sometimes people we think are safe don't always stay safe and you need to tell your parents. 
So that's the whole concept behind the, that book. The next one is called Positively Me, My Healing Journey. And it's about a little girl who was abused that needs to go to therapy and all the things she learns in therapy and she befriends the therapy dog. There's, oh, there's a dog involved in that one too. And then the third one is for older children. It's called Unfriend Her. So it's about a girl whose best friend's a year older than her. Older friend goes off to high school. She's now lonely. Mom and dad agree to let her hang out with somebody that she wouldn't have normally hung out with. And very quickly, she gets involved with um, this girl's older brother is, you know, in photography school and needs some models. And they wind up getting pictures taken of themselves. Again, it has a happy ending because they police get very quickly involved and mm. and the uh, pictures don't make it to the internet you know but so it's just meant to teach children about the realities and how they could accidentally get involved in human trafficking so yeah it's again there i mean there are some images not nude images or anything like that images of these young girls wearing clothes that you know they're kind of fuzzy wearing clothes that they might not normally wear but and the girls talk about being uncomfortable wearing these clothes and how the boys are threatening them in the end. So it's a very realistic um, perspective of how it could happen. I will make sure that we have some links and all the book titles in today's description because they sound so needed. Mm -hmm. And like if we're teaching children, like when you, when something happens, we want them to go to a trusted adult. And that's what it sounds like in all three of those new books yeah. that you wrote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent. In the end, in Unfriend Her, she goes back to her former best friend whose dad happens to be a police officer. So it, yeah. Oh. Yeah, so it ends well. Okay. Very good. Very yeah. good. Okay. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing about your books. And let's start jumping into what's written for the interpersonal violence area, the topic area in the National Sexuality Education Standards. I will again have a link for these standards and I'll put the approximate page of where they'll be found in today's description. But the first section we're gonna look at is the one that reads by the end of the second grade, students should be able to. So this is like, again, for schools that by the end of the second grade, this is what we're hoping educators go over with children. Mm -hmm. And Kelly, do you mind reading the first one, the first box there? Not a problem. It says define child sex abuse and identifying behaviors that will be considered child sexual abuse. Do you have any advice of how to define that? Um, you know, uh, well, I, I honestly believe that education around this topic has to start, you know, as soon as you're starting to teach your children about keeping themselves clean, I, I think start talking about, you know, only only mommy and daddy or you know the doctor whoever's in your in your family circle only us caregivers can have access to that and that you know any other adult or any other child that tries to access touching you there you know is considered abuse right that you know I mean other than a same age friend I guess but yeah I think you know I mean yeah, there's, there's so many different definitions of sexual abuse, right? Like, it depends on whether, like, there's contact offense, there's non-contact offenses, right? Like, forcing a child to watch pornographic videos, you know, with the intention of abusing would also be considered abuse, right? So, um, yeah, I think, I think, you know, I mean, definitely by the end of grade two, yeah, they need to know that. But I really believe parents need to be the first person to teach their children about sexual abuse, for a couple of reasons, because 
um, there's something called the law of first mention, which you may have heard of, which basically says that whoever tells a child about information for the first time, they take that as their gospel. They take that as the truth. So you want to be the first one teaching a child about a topic because if, for example, a cousin with ill intent or the, you know, your best friend's husband is the first person to talk to your child about that, they will, they will believe that to be the truth. And, and, you know, we don't know what they're teaching them. So we need to be the first person to educate them. Also, what was that called again? Love? The what law of first mention. I'm sorry, one more time. Law of first mention. Okay, the law of first mention. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, it's, it's basically that, you know, um, don't let someone else be the first one to educate your children about these topics because we need to control what they're taught. Because they, you know, for example, if the first time a child hears or talks about sexual matters is during abuse, Let's say you have a boy, an older boy trying to educate a younger boy about masturbation by showing him how to do it. Then he tells him, oh, look, you got an erection. Obviously, you like boys. That may not have been their natural, um, you know, original preference. But because they've put that information in their head, they have nothing else to compare to. And a lot of boys and men will struggle with this because that is the first time they've you know, either been aware of their own sexual stimulation or been educated about it. So I really think, you know, parents need to teach their children about stimulation, about masturbation, and just about bodily functions in general. Yeah. Tough topic, I know. <laughs> well, I believe everything we're going to read for up to the second grade, and again, you had said before, even before children go to school, I think they all align to this common theme of, yes, yeah, start this education. And if I can read the next part, which okay. the next statement, and it reads, identify situations that may be uncomfortable or dangerous, for example, yeah. bullying, teasing, child sexual abuse. Okay. And the theme to me for all of these is we need to teach young people that when you get this feeling inside of yuckiness, mm -hmm. of I don't like this. That's your instinct. Your mm -hmm. body tells you that something is weird and you have the right to then go to tell somebody that I feel yucky. Mm -hmm. Even after a situation, even if it's years later, if it's days later, whatever it is. So it's that identify situations, but it's also identified to me those feelings of, I feel yucky. I don't like this. Absolutely. And you know what, Lori, I think the opposite is true too. Like, for example, if they're watching something and they do like it, they get that tingly feeling down there. Mm -hmm. Parents need to have explained that to their children, that that's a natural bodily response, that they don't need help with that feeling, that they'll get over it within, you know, a minute or two. And, you know, teaching them that if, you know, I mean, whether parents choose to teach their children that masturbation is okay or not, you know, that's up to their own decision, but that it's a solo sport. They don't need help learning how to do it. They don't need help from other people that, you know, it's a natural bodily function. So yeah, I really think, and you know, like a lot of parents don't want to do that because they want to keep their children innocent or they want to protect them and they don't want to traumatize them. Children are experiencing these symptoms or, or these physiological responses anyway. Research shows that little boys get erections in utero and, right. you know, children play with themselves. That's the reality. We just need to teach them healthy sexuality, right? Yep. 
And if something is going on that feels uncomfortable, because you're right, if they if they are seeing something and they might get arousal, that's not mm -hmm. a negative thing. Yet if they're like something, somebody else is doing something and they're feeling weird to identify that, to go and talk yeah. with a trusted adult. Absolutely, because one of the ways that offenders groom children is by first presenting stimulating material. Yeah. Which, of course, I mean, children, you know, because of their cognitive and intellectual development go through a phase where, you know, right and wrong, sometimes it feels good to be bad, right? So we, you know, we really need to be the ones to educate children, right? Like, otherwise, it's like, you know, doing something they got away with and makes them feel special or bonds them with someone, you know, we don't want mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. We don't want them keeping secrets from parents. So then that connects with the next statement for up to the second grade, which reads, identify trusted adults, including parents and caregivers that you can talk to about situations that may be uncomfortable or dangerous. And again, examples are bullying, teasing, child sexual abuse. Is there any way that you recommend parents to go over how to identify other people if they're not available? Well, uh, you know, I think, you know, I mean, I mean, mommy's sister or daddy's sister or brother, you know, hopefully, typically, these are good people to talk to or the principal or the teacher or, you know, but I think it's also important to, to, to also educate our children that even though, even though mommy and daddy believe everyone in our world is safe, Sometimes mommy and daddy don't have all the information. Sometimes you have more information than I have. So if you know something about these people that I don't know, for example, that they've made them feel uncomfortable, please come tell mommy and daddy, right? Like, you know, or, or, you know, you know, I mean, depending on how old the children is, you know, wait till we get home or go, go find someone else that is trusted. If, if the person that you, you know, it's, I think it's like, it's, it's been, in, in my first book, I had lots of examples where, or a few examples where the young boys tried to tell the school counselor and the school counselor minimized it or told them that they were the responsible and shamed them mm -hmm. um, because they were also pedophiles working together, set the kid up to go to basketball camp, you know? So I um, love, you know, um, just this idea that if that first adult is not, is not trusted or minimizes or whatever, go find another one. <laughs> mm -hmm. I love that yeah. message, you know, go find another one. Or, you know, have somebody call me, have somebody get a hold of me. Even if I'm at work, it's okay. This is important. Yeah. Yes. I like that you just added that in. Thank you. The next statement, when I first look at it, I get a little confused, but I understand it. It reads, demonstrate ways to treat all people with dignity and respect. For example, with race, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, differing abilities, immigration status, family configuration. And the reason why I get a little confused is the first statements talk about child sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. So treating people with dignity and respect, the person that's being inappropriate, that's touching inappropriately. I'm like, wait, that, you know, it, you know, does that make sense? It's confusing to me. Like I, the person that's touching inappropriately, that's not what this means. It's not no, no, being no. the statement. So, no. No, no, the statement is going to overall, when you have peers, when you see others, that people have differences to respect that. And dis differences, disabilities, lack of, you know, 
opportunity or privilege or whatever that, you know, I, yeah, I love that just to, you know, to recognize that, you know, not everybody is born into wealth or privilege or mm-hmm. a different race or ethnicity, or, you know, is, I really love this, especially in regards to like physical and mental illness too, right? Like yes. children often don't understand physical or mental illness, especially, you know, you got a child diagnosed with Asperger's or something like that. They may have some behavioral issues or, or trauma, you know, children who are traumatized have behavioral issues. Oftentimes they're the odd, weird kid, right? We still got to oftentimes, right? Because they're dysregulated or they may have a learn what, what, what is thought of as a learning disability, which could actually be a manifestation of trauma. So yeah, so super important that we, yeah, I mean, basically extinguishing the bullying piece, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. And yep, I totally am on board with that. We actually uh, train future educators a lot about cultural diversity, just diversity across the board, and that we have differentiation in our lessons when we're teaching to support the wellness of all kids, no matter what. Okay, the next statement reads, demonstrate ways to start a conversation when seeking help from a trusted adult about an uncomfortable or dangerous situation. Mm-hmm. And those examples of the bullying and child sexual abuse. Do you have any advice for how a parent or other caregiver can teach their child about how to start a conversation? Well, I, I again, I think it has to start really young. I think it has to be an open conversation from, you know, again, back to this idea that if you don't talk about it, it sends the message that they can't either. If you're uncomfortable talking about it, they're not going to be comfortable talking about it. So, yeah, I think, you know, just open communication about their body parts, about, you know, cleanliness, about you know, when they get curious about reproduction and yes, about grooming and about safe and unsafe people and um, I think, yeah, I mean, like, there's all kinds of books that have, you know, I, I think it depends. So I'm just going to grab this book. This is a very dated book, but I was looking at it this morning and it's got great examples about like how parents, you know, I, I would say take the opportunities that your kids present too, right? Like um, if they're curious about, um, you know, anything be honest with them, you know, in age appropriate ways, uh, you know, it gives examples about like if a child asks, for example, you know, mommy and how, how are babies made? Okay, let's talk about that. And be honest, don't t- tell them the stork brings them right. Children are the worst case scenario, children are going to be weirded out or think you're like, you know, it's okay, I don't need maybe I don't want to know this or right. But um, yeah, so this book, Speaking of Sex, What Children Need to Know and When They Need to Know It, is a great book. I mean, it, it is dated, but the conversations are still the same. Yeah. So, you know, I get, it, you know it, gives, it can give you examples on how to get the conversation started. Um, yeah, I mean, there's lots, of, there's lots of resources out there, like my books. Re, you know, read, the ch- read your child a story. And in, in our books, we have teaching points, too, also that we believe, you know, for parents to stop and say, Hey, you know, what, you know, what do you understand about this? So like, uh, tools. Yeah. Just, you know, so sort of to say, okay, you know, like make sure your child understands this and ask them if they understand this, that kind of thing. So. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you're hitting the nail on the head when you go to books, because that is a way to start a conversation in which a child can then perhaps approach an adult to say, remember that book that we read, about this situation, this is what happened, you know, this is what happened to me, this is what happened to someone else, can we talk about it? 
And mm-hmm. then even something for us health educators, what we teach children are, is using I feel statement of, I feel scared, I feel weird because mm-hmm. this happened, mm-hmm. you know, empowering them in that way. Um, I know some people don't like that word empowering with children, but that's something I, equip. I yeah, equip. equip. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, you know, um, one of the things that this uh, book advocates is talk to your young children at night because they never want to go to bed anyways, right? So it's <laughs> a great time to read a book about this and introduce the conversation. And, uh, I mean, again, I don't think it's going to leave them traumatized. We're just equipping them, right? We're educating right. and equipping them. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, yeah, in a perfect world, we wouldn't have to do that. But research shows that one out of every three females and one out of every six boys, which I think is actually inaccurate, I think it's probably a lot higher, are sexually abused before the age of 16. So it's yeah. happening. If it doesn't yeah. happen, if it doesn't happen to them, they're going to have one of their friends in their circle that it happens to. So yeah, yeah. So. Well, going back to the standards, that was the last one for mm-hmm. grade two. Mm-hmm. Now there's another five. So there are five under second grade up until second grade and then there's another five statements for up until fifth grade so if we can jump to that and they're similar some of them are similar in nature so according to the national sexuality education standards in interpersonal violence by the end of the fifth grade students should be able to define child sexual abuse sexual harassment and domestic violence and explain why they are harmful and their uh, potential impacts And I think it's interesting because they added sexual harassment and domestic Mm -hmm. violence there. Mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts on on that statement? I do. I think it's great. And I think it's very timely because not, you know, for unfortunately, for a lot of parents sake, children are getting sexually active by grade six, by grade seven. So one thing that I would just encourage educators is to make sure that they advocate and vocalize, you know, to the children that it goes both ways. I hear a lot of stories from parents about boys that have been forced into sexual activity by their girlfriends because, you know, girls will say things like, I'll tell everybody you're gay if you don't sleep with me or yeah, you know, if you don't sleep with me, I'll tell everybody you raped me or agree to sleep with them and then still tell people they were raped. So I think we just really have to make children, you know, we have to teach that we're aware that it goes both ways right because boys are often you know i mean they mature slower than girls they're often approached to engage in sexual activity before they're even interested in it or before they're ready or before they would would you know you got let's say you got the good looking boy in high school well you got the young girl who's already been sexually active that wants that as a trophy just like men do so we need to educate we need to educate and we need to yeah just be talking about how it goes both ways Yep. And that consent goes it, yes. no matter who yes. a person is, how they identify. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we in the states, we have these um, these laws in states about what age you're allowed to have, be mm-hmm. able to be giving consent. Um, alcohol does not allow for consent. Uh, so to teach these situations in which consent can be provided and then everybody, no matter how they identify, can give consent. So thank yep. you for bringing that up. Yeah. Okay, another statement reads, identify strategies a person could use to call attention to or leave an uncomfortable or dangerous dangerous situation, including sexual harassment, which mm-hmm. seems to align with another statement of describe steps a person can take when they're being or, or have been sexually abused. I mean, they, 
I guess they're, they're similar, but different because mm-hmm. um, they're referring to certain things. But overall, to me, these statements are how, what steps or strategies can a person use when mm-hmm. something is going on in this interpersonal violence is going on? Well, I, I really like the idea of, you know, the fact that they included bullying in here. And one of the things that I often advocate about bullying is you got to end it quickly, quickly, right? Like you, it, the, the longer it goes on, the harder it is to stop. So I would say, you know, the same kind of situation with sexual harassment or, you know, yeah, the, what could be a sexual assault situation, ongoing situation. You know, um, if you've got that uncomfortable feeling, talk to someone, ask a parent, ask a you know, professional ask for help, right? And um, just, you know, the whole idea of that, you know, you should be talking to your kids early about the fact that it could happen. And when it does, it's okay to come talk to me about it. It's okay to talk to, yeah. you know, the principal about it, right? And, and, and if you don't get the response you want, find another adult. Yeah. But the, I guess the key thing being, you know, right away, as soon as you're in that situation. I honestly think like, you know, some situations can be diffused with humor too, right? Like, you know, just when I used to be a police lady, I used humor a lot to get myself out of bad situations to to ensure my safety. You know, I'm thinking like, you know, I mean, for example, if a boy found himself in that situation with a girl, he could say, you know, suddenly I've lost my desire and I'm going to go watch the game or whatever, right? Like he could (laughs) deflect to get out of that situation Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I think my mom's calling me, you know, like something sarcastic or funny or, um, you know, just, yeah, because yeah, I guess I'm, I'm a real advocate for, for, you know, sort of equipping boys as well, because I think it's not done near mm-hmm. enough. Yep. Yep. Do you have an example of how you deflected something with oh humor? Oh my gosh. Um... <laughs> if you feel comfortable sharing well, I, I anything. It was humor. I, I mean, the example that comes to my mind was. Um, I used to be a runner, so I would time things in my mind. And I was at a friend's house having lunch in the middle of the night when I was working, when I was on duty policing. And there had been a break-in in a gas station really close to my house. And I knew everybody else was racing down the highway the same way to get to these guys. Well, I was nowhere near that. So I went the long way. And I started thinking in my head, you know, the alarm went off. We've been notified. They probably know they're two minutes out of town. They've got this amount of time there, you know. And now they're probably going to be leaving. They're probably, if they were coming this way, I should see headlights right about now. Cause I knew the road well. Right. And what do you know? Bloop. Oh. Headlights. And I'm out there by myself, middle of nowhere, radio's busy. And so I managed to pull this vehicle that was coming towards me over. And I recognized the guys in the vehicle. This is probably, I mean, it's probably not even ethical, but you know, it was a safety thing. And so, I mean, I, I didn't necessarily use humor, but I distracted, um, I knew these guys had just broken into this gas station and stuff. And um, so, but I also knew that the driver didn't have a driver's license and I had the right to impound his vehicle. So I said, Hey, it's going to be a long walk for you boys, you know, get going, you know, pitch black, like I'm seizing your vehicle, like, you know, (laughs) off you go in cougar country, you know? And they're like, no, don't make us walk. And I was like, oh, fine. Get in the back of my car. So I got all four of these guys in the back of my car before I ever arrested them. Which may not be the best, but I, hey, I put my safety first out there, right? You mm-hmm. know what? Hey, guess what, guys? Now I'm telling you, you're under arrest for that break-in, you know, that just yeah. happened down this road, right? <laughs> but, I mean, sure, probably might, probably wouldn't have held up in court. I don't know. Don't care. I'm going home tonight, you know, like my mm-hmm. safety first, right? So I used a complete distraction to get myself out of that situation. So, yeah, I mean, deflection, distraction are great ways mm-hmm. to get yourself out of a situation. You know, 
honestly, this is maybe a little too much information, but a sexual example, when I was 15, we were in Jamaica and I, I was, our parents allowed us to hang out with these older men who were literally hired to entertain the guests. I want to say I was 15. The guy I was hanging out with was probably in his early 20s. And we went for a long walk down the beach, which I started to feel uncomfortable about. And then, of course, he kissed me and he wanted to um, he wanted to go farther. And I felt unsafe. And so I deflected the situation by saying that I wanted to go back and shower first before we proceeded. Right. So I didn't say no to him right then and there. I misled him to believe we were going to go back to my room and that's where it was going to take mm -hmm. place. As soon as we got to the edge of the resort, I said, get the hell out of here. My sister wasn't so smart and she got herself in a bad situation. So, okay. Uh, but that's what I did, you know, to deflect the situation. Cause you know, I no doubt in my mind that guy got me two kilometers from our resort and yeah. full expectations of making it farther. So I used deflection, mm -hmm. distraction, dishonesty. Oh, well, you know, <laughs> right. but it, it got you out of a situation because sometimes we forget that as young people are growing up, they these situations occur and we can feel really guilty about it like oh i shouldn't have walked that far away from the hotel like what you just said but i think back to sometimes being in a situation where it was just pure innocence of how did i get myself here and now i got to get myself out of here it if happens. i can it, can it happens so yeah and, my, and parents, I know, my parents had given me permission to be with him yeah crazy and i know for me i was very naive because i wouldn't think anything would happen and that yeah stuff can happen so this is why to to as you said equip young people if i switch that word from empower to equip young people of you know you don't have to follow this you know if i make a mistake let me know i'm making a mistake that kind of thing yeah and now we have mistake doesn't mean you're responsible for someone else's actions right right yeah. Yeah. Because we're human beings and that mm -hmm. means we will be doing some mistakes. We all have needs. We all have desires. Yeah. Well, there are two more statements left in that section of up until the fifth grade. And the next one that I'll choose to read reads, mm -hmm. explain that some survivors are not believed when they disclose sexual abuse or harassment and that it is important to keep telling trusted adults until mm -hmm. one of the adults takes action. Uh, yeah. What are your thoughts on that, Kelly? Oh my gosh, that is unfortunately so true. I mean, several examples in my research were, um, especially for men, for as young boys, it's minimized especially with boys, it's often minimized as a rite of passage, as a coming of age experience. And yeah, sadly, it, when the abuser is a spouse, it is often dismissed or minimized by the partner, by the other parent. So yeah, I mean, unfortunately, um, yeah, you, you know, for children, if it is the parent, you might have to go outside the family. Yeah. To, to get to get to safety right I mean one of my one of my first participants I think his name is Jacob in the book he abs like this was this was in the 70s though right so he said like he started counting the days till he could graduate and be gone because he knew no one would believe him or help him and back mm -hmm. then he nece wasn't necessarily wrong he grew up in a culture where child abuse was accepted and in their culture on physical anyways as a means of parenting and you know, uh, he was punished the few times he tried to get help. Uh, so, 
but the, uh, my point is that's not the case nowadays it's not the way it mm-hmm. is nowadays like thank god people are more aware and you yeah. know i would hope that any child that would go to a teacher or a professional like yourself you know yeah. that they would they would be able to that there is there are professionals such as yourself or myself out there that will believe them and will help them and even if the first person they talk to doesn't yeah. keep talking keep talking in uh, the States, we have this rule uh, that we need to follow that if a child does disclose something, we have to follow steps. And we ourselves have to even call Child Protective Services in a variety of situations. And I've heard some people say, well, my principal said they already called or I don't have to call. It's like, no, that everything was rephrased to say, no, as soon as you're told if you're the person that the child disclosed to, we need you yes. to call. Yes. Yeah. Same in Canada. Absolutely. But I can tell you, not everybody does. I had a new client yesterday who told me her father was an abuser and that another member of the family was allowing him access to her children. And I, I said, I'm sorry, but you, and you know, she, she was furious with me because I actually think it was conviction for her because she knew she yeah. should have reported it and she hadn't, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, well, we'll protect them. I, you can't yeah. always, right? You can't. Yep. Yeah. If if they're being allowed to have sleepovers at grandma and grandpa's house and grandma's denying this happened, you absolutely have to. I mean, yeah, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. And these are prof- so, this is the professional too. So not everybody's doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly. And I take a, a deep breath there because this is where it gets so challenging. When I talk to future teachers, when I talk to parents and other caregivers of this isn't the easiest topic, especially if it happened to us and we don't want it to continue. And we don't know if maybe we didn't uh, actually face the realities of what happened to us yet to protect young people. We need to, we need to equip them. We do yeah. need to equip them. I've talked to pastors who say they don't want to report their abuser because they believe they might have changed, you know? And so my advice for someone in that situation would be get support. Like as the person having to make that disclosure, reach out to another professional or another adult who's going to have your back, who maybe even come with you or sit with you while you make that phone call. Because, you know, you know, Lori, there's this thing where we always reach out to people that will make us feel better about our decisions, right? Well, if you know you have to make a hard decision, reach out to someone who's going to support you in that hard decision or that hard thing to do. Yep. Yes. Don't go to the person that's going to say, oh, I'm sure they're fine. (laughs) And I didn't say it earlier, yet I'll say it here. For those of you listening in, if any part of this conversation is triggering to you, please do go to seek support. Uh, I'll even make sure that there's a link or two about places you can go to uh, in this description because you have the right to be heard, even if it happened many years ago, if it happened yesterday, that so we everybody has the right to be happy and healthy. That's what I continuously say to people. Um, and we can provide tools, we can equip people to, um, mm-hmm. to heal from situations. Mm-hmm. So to end this there's only one statement left so we're going to end in this and i'm purposefully ending with this statement because i know kelly when she when we referred to it before for the second grade she was like i like this one so the the one for the fifth grade reads demonstrate ways to promote dignity and respect for all people 
for any race, ethnicity, socioeconomic stat status, differing abilities, immigration status, family configuration. Mm -hmm. So do you want to say anything regarding that? I mean, I think parents have to be good role models of that too, right? Like, and we all have to be good role models of that. I mean, I, I would hope it's different now, but the first experience I ever had with bullying was from a teacher. And she basically gave everyone else in the class permission to do the same. So I think teachers have to be very careful about not shaming a child for not knowing an answer or coming to school with the same clothes on or smelling bad, you know, the adults in our in a child's world need to demonstrate that they need to you know they need to they need to educate their kids you know i mean i have a girlfriend now whose son is probably on the spectrum and you know he's getting bullied by another kid down the street right so we need to teach you know we need to teach our kids that you know some some kids don't even have appropriate skills but you can still just look past those things and you know yeah yep so to yeah. teach children, but as you noted, we also have to model it. We do. And to, and to ask questions, right? If you think a kid is odd or demonstrating weird behavior or whatever, talk to an adult about it, right? Yeah. Talk to an adult who might be in the know. Go to the school counselor and say, you know, Billy says weird things to me or whatever. I mean, at least the counselor could identify whether that's concerning behavior or maybe they have more information, for example, that the child is on the spectrum or the child is going through a rough time. Yeah, so just I, I would, you know, teach, yeah, role modeling and questioning role model the way to handle situations, the best way to handle situations, and role modeling that it's okay to ask questions. Be curious. I always teach my clients like both themselves and other people, be curious, rather than like harsh and confrontational. Be curious. Why is that person like that? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I hope that addressed it. <laughs> yeah. Well, before we go today, do you have any last words of advice? Just like I said in the beginning, start early. Start be the one to teach early. your kids. Be the one to teach your kids about sexual abuse, about grooming. It's super important to teach a child about grooming. That's not a topic we teach children about. Groom pedophiles will work very, 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 very hard to become the person that you think is the least likely person that would ever offend. But the child is going to be the first one to have that knowledge, and they need to have. Uh, they need to be able to have the the knowledge, the vocabulary, and the permission to talk about it. So knowledge, vocabulary, and permission are very key with kids. Very good. <laughs> and if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, how could they do that? Kellypolfi.com is my website. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing your knowledge, your passion for helping others. I just find that you're a plethora of information. You you really are. You you're you're working with people that have so many like traumatic things that have happened and you're helping them heal so thank you for what you're doing mm, my pleasure thank you it's a, it's a privilege honestly yeah <laughs> well to our audience i thank you so much for listening in today please check out the description for resources for how to get in touch with kelly to find out where you can get her books because those books, particularly the ones for the children, uh, children and youth, that is a great tool for how we can talk with their young people. And if you're like, well, I have an older child, um, I can't use them. Actually, I use a lot of children's books with older students. I say to them, I have this book, 
can we read it? And I want your, um, your advice on it. What do you think about it? What mm -hmm. age do you think this is most appropriate for? And talk about the content okay. in there because that's still a younger child's book is still a tool even for older children. Yep. So again, thank you, Kelly. And thank you for the audience members listening in. I hope that you have a happy and healthy day. Thank you for listening to the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Did you enjoy this episode? Please like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow the Puberty Prof on Twitter or Instagram. The Puberty Prof, Lori Reichel, wants to hear from you. Go to pubertyprof.com or click on the link in this episode's description. There you can find more information, as well as ask questions to be answered by the Puberty Prof in a future episode. That's pubertyprof.com. Also, remember to check out the Talk Puberty app and the book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty. Until next time, this is the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics.